Hi, I'm Nicole Guest, your Reno real estate expert and the host of The Growth Lab. Here at The Growth Lab, we are cultivating the chemistry of growing your business, life, and family in the Reno Tahoe area. So let's get into it. Welcome back to The Growth Lab. Nikki G here, ready to start a new year, 2024. It's going to be a good one. So I'm really excited today because my near dear friend Grant Denton is joining us today to roll out the 2024 podcast lineup. Um, want to give a shout out to my sponsor, Tahoe Nevada Love. Obviously great local apparel. If you want to use our discount, hit their website, TahoeNevadaLove.com. Use code GrowthLab25. So Grant Denton, hi. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the Growth Lab. <laughs> they said the girl cloud. I'm like, yes, girl cloud. No. Always wanted to be on the girl cloud. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is kind of a girl cloud, but today you're on it um, with the growth lab team, me and Andrew solo today. But um, Grant Denton, he in 2018 founded Karma Box Project mm. with the goal of getting um, people off the streets and, and, and onto a better life. Right. And all the things that that entails. And I'm going to let you go into that more. Yeah. Well, oh, sorry. Yeah, oh no. This is this is your this is your podcast. This Bro. Is, yeah. So, um, Grant was also nom voted twenty twenty three one of the best local af- activists, um, in town and here in Reno. And he is kind of a guy of all trades. I mean, you'll see him all over the place. He's heavily connected, um, and really just out there trying to make this community the best it possibly can be. So, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. And tell me. All about everything you're doing and go. Well, uh, we'll start like with the history of Karma Box. Karma Box wasn't like uh, originally supposed to be a nonprofit. Matter of fact, it was just uh, we we started out as a um, as just a program in at a methadone clinic just to get folks that are working with um, recovering heroin and uh, opioid addicts and getting them back engaged in the community. Right, understanding that's a pillar of recovery is to give back and then so we started building these little library boxes we put non-perishable foods hygiene items in them things like that and the idea was that or the original idea was that we fill the fill the boxes yeah. um but with with that like that didn't really involve the community if you want to if you want something to, a community initiative to to last you have to give get community buy-in and how do you get community buy-in well you give the community ownership of it right, right? Yeah. and so like it just it reminds me of my brother my brother when I was, uh, when, you know, when we were coming in the nineties, right, right out of the nineties, out of high school, 98, 99, 2000, huh? In the olden days. In the good old days. Uh, (laughs) my brother was a carpenter in the union and he worked on all these casinos, the Bellagio city center, all these places in Vegas. And to this day, when you drive by the strip with my brother, he'll point at the Bellagio and be like, I built that. I built that. And we're like, TJ, you didn't build the freaking Bellagio. I, mean, I totally built that. <laughs> like, you didn't build the Bellagio, but like, but he did have a role in it. So if you want things to work, like you give community initiatives to work, you give the community ownership of it. And so like we instead of us filling the boxes, we you open it up so where the community can give to the boxes. And so it was this reciprocal relationship between those who want to give and those who at that time have a need. And, well, and raising awareness for what's transpiring too. You know, you have a buy-in there. You can kind of, hey, what's going on? What what are we doing this for? What what's going on? Well, yeah, yeah. And people want it's it's a good way to you know, be, by putting something in a box, it's a good way to plant, you know, these small seeds of civic responsibility. And right. I think that's part of what's wrong with 
a lot of communities is that people don't feel like they have a role in the community, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, so eventually it, you know, so that grew to, you know, we have about 60 boxes in Northern Nevada now, 60 karma boxes. And they're uh, all over the city. Yeah. You, Fernley, um, Sparks, you know, just all over Northern Nevada, Carson city. Um, but we turned it into a nonprofit in, in May of 2020 because, uh, I wanted to do more on the streets. It was right in the middle of COVID, man. Uh, homelessness was spiking. Businesses were closing down. Yeah. I mean, if you look at downtown at that time, the the the, uh, the shelter had moved to the event center, mm-hmm. and in the event center, you had about two hundred and two hundred eighty people, two hundred eighty un- unsheltered folks living in this. You know, it was like just a field of of mattresses, a field of bodies, right? Because we had to socially distance them, and it was like... And you had to keep them six feet apart, and you had to do all yeah, that. Yeah, you know, what was interesting, though, was like, we would do that there. And in the morning, you know, the CDC, right, required that you disinfect all the mattresses and all the, mm-hmm. the floors had to be cleaned every day, so they had to be asked to leave. When they leave, they were they would go out into the downtown area when nothing's open, There's no so all that was there was just this population that without a purpose, yeah. not doing anything is aimlessly wandering around, not, you know? Yeah. And we can distance them. We can sure. distance your mattresses, but in the, in, you know, on the, in the, on the, on the streets, we're sharing pipes and we're sharing bottles and we're sharing cigarettes and we're sharing clothes. So it's just a really, I mean, it's just a really interesting and scary, especially because it was new and nobody really knew what this COVID was, you know? And so, you know, you're all going to die if you don't stop and stay yeah. away. Well, and it's such a vulnerable population because, again, you, there's not a place for even people to shelter to. Yeah. That isn't community driven or like, you know, with, with a bunch of people all together. Yeah. Um, it was just a, it was a really scary time. And so we like I wanted to really start working with directly with folks. And so I left the downtown renal partnership, started turned Karma Box into a nonprofit. And we just started. um working at Broadhead around the Portland Lou, doing outreach around the Portland Lou. Then you identify that when it comes to outreach, right? It's like, you're not going to walk up to somebody's tent, right? When you're working in the, in a homeless camp and be like, Hey man, you want to change your life? And then somebody be like, yeah, dude, let me just grab my stuff. (laughs) The history of outreach that's worked 0% of the time. You have to build rapport. So what's the right. best way to build rapport with folks? And it's solving problems with them. Like you want to you connect with somebody, you help them solve a problem. And some of the problems, the two major problems in homeless camps are behavioral and environmental. Right. Well, right now I can't really help you with behavioral issues because we don't really know each other. So let's start with environment and that's trash. And so I would go through with trash bags and just ask folks, hey man, you want help? cleaning up with your tent and then they would help me clean up. We'd build that connection. So we start solving problems together. And then from there, we started this program called the river stewards where we were giving folks gift cards. And you still run that today. We do. It's transformed from the river stewards just to street keepers. Right. So we have our outreach and our street keeper programs all in one. And it's, it's a, it's a great way of giving people a, you know, a platform for purpose. It's a great way of getting folks access to um, money to where they can, get their, have their basic needs met, you know? And, uh, and number one for us, it's, it's, we're able to uh, build rapport with folks, develop relationship with them. So that you can direct them or get them into this and what, to whatever programs that they may need to be able to empower them. Well, yeah. And do a proper assessment. Like what would work for this person? How did you get here? Like in, like, you know, we said it before that homelessness is, isn't the homelessness is a problem, but it's not the problem. It's a symptom Symptom. of the problem, Mm -hmm. right? It's drug addiction, mental illness, co-occurring, 
course, you know, housing and, you know, housing uh, costs and, and all the things, fleeing domestic violence, whatever that looks like. But it's so sim- many different yeah. factors that contribute to it. Yeah. Well, and, you know, just like you're with Karma Box, how you wanted to have the communities buy in, you essentially are trying to get these people who are experience experiencing homelessness to have a buy-in like well, you have to get you have to have a buy-in you have to have some sort of a, a participation there where it's not just like oh we're gonna give you all the stuff and you're gonna be good you have so, to have some sort of a buy-in and you you just nailed it there like so what's their what's their role in it right so over the you look at who's res- who has roles who has a role or who's responsible for solving the homeless problem and there's four parties right there's there's government because that's where the money's coming from right, right? you have your agencies that's us, right? We're the yep. ones that are dealing directly with them. You have the public. The public has a role. Yeah, the community absolutely. has a role in solving we're all, this problem. We're all in this together. You, you don't, yeah. So you, you don't get to just pretend like it's not happening. You can't just move up to the hills and not see it, right? And, and just because that's just solving the optics problem, right? If, if I don't see it, it's not happening, and that's not. Right, and, and like you said, in, um, Grant's also a TEDx speaker. In his TEDx talk, he talks about we're in a boat. We're all in this boat. Yeah. Right. And if someone falls off the boat, you can't just throw them a life raft. You Heck have to like, <laughs> help them get back rowing. Um, well, and so it's it's a community effort. It's all of us are in the boat. Yeah. And I, I strongly disagree with, uh, you know, criticizing stuff without having a solution in mind or or uh, being willing to, like, work, do the work, right. some sort of work. And but the fourth one. So you got government, you got agencies, you got the public and then you have the homeless. Up into this point, I think, and I think now we're leaning in more. Like we've, we've ex- expected the government and the agencies to solve the problem, right? Like, without why, why, involving captain, cap, come and captain save a homeless guy. Like no, yeah. it doesn't work like that. Yeah, no. So, so the the homeless have to have a role in their recovery. The public has to have a role in the in the uh, homelessness recovery. And, and and people, when I say recovery or reentry, right, um, into whatever it is, because not everybody is an addict, but I. There's a huge portion that is right, right. Um, but uh, but so every everybody has a role, and it's just understanding understanding that role, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know that this it's a huge initiative, and it's been something that you have grown over the past couple of years. And I know that that's also uh, branched off to Karma Crib and other things where yeah. you're trying to. But you also are involved with a lot of other Eddie House, a lot of other nonprofits uh, as working as a team, you know, collaborating to do this all as a community, just like you said, how important it is that all of us kind of come together for this because the government's not going to come in and save it. You have to have, um, you know, homeless people or, you know, people that are suffering from addiction have to have a buy-in. Yeah. Um, but also it's awareness too of what exactly is getting us to this point. Is this homeless community growing? Is it decreasing? What are you seeing? I guess this question's going to be twofold. Through this work, what are you seeing transpire in our community that's either uh, helping or uh, hurting our community in terms of how they are handling the homeless situation? Well, let's start with what hurts it. What hurts it is judging it and 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 attacking the the system, the people, the folks that are working in it. You have agencies like mine. You have uh, agencies like Rise and the VOA and all these people that are really working to solve the problem that are that are getting getting attacked by. Yeah. By, by folks, you know, and then, uh, you know, you're doing it wrong. And then you have the city and the county that are getting attacked. And I don't look, I, I'm sure that in every solution, something is, is, is off, right. you know, and there's you know, no there's perfect solution, corruption, or a there's, linear way to solve a problem. Yeah. But you know, people, there's some sort of corruption or the city's doing it wrong or the county's doing it wrong. Well, there's, there's three ways of, of doing it, right. You can, you can 
do it right, you can do it wrong, and you can not do anything at all. And there's a cost to each of them. Right. And I feel like we're moving in a direction of doing it right for the most part. And you can you can look into any anything or any system and find something wrong with it, right? But that doesn't necessarily that as a whole it's wrong, right. you know. Right. And this is a this is a relatively new gig solving. Homelessness is a new gig. What is awareness around it? Ah, dude, yeah. There's there's so much involved, but like what what I what I know that we're doing right. So what's what we're doing wrong is is taking shots out of at it without understanding it. Do you know yep. what what we're what we're doing right is actively learning and growing. Right, the city like in order to solve a problem with people, you better know your people. So the county adopted this built for zero initiative. Where we're actively, I mean, you you get to know everyone on the streets. We, we and and yeah. that takes a collaboration of agencies. Yeah, because one person can't do it, dude. No, no, no. And and that was it before, as we were operating in silos. And Reno, I think, is doing a really good job of collaborating and working yeah. together. Interagency collaboration, multi jurisdictional collaboration. The city of Reno, Sparks, Washoe County, like. Is it perfect? No, nothing's perfect, but we're but we're getting there, and we're and we're learning. Well, you're doing something. Yeah, you got. You know, it. and you're reaching across the table, and you're reaching out, and especially people like you that are scared to have the hard conversations. But you know what we're seeing with you too is, I think part of the just as you said, the detriment is like judging or coming after. I mean, you've been you've been the recipient of a lot of criticism with people that don't like how you've done things or don't like your style and it's easy to sit and judge and but you know you're actually in the trenches and not understanding that you yourself have experienced everything that you're trying to help you're not just some random geek off the streets trying to solve homelessness with zero experience with zero sort of like personal um vendetta yourself to do this so i just think that you weather that very well while continuing to move forward like I said not, it's not linear it's not perfect yeah. But it's getting up every day and, and trying to, all right, what's the best thing we can do for this community? Who, what players do we need to get involved? Yeah. And doing it. Yeah. And so that, tell us a little bit about you, though, in that. Like, um, explain to everybody what you're, why you have experience with this. Well, because uh, I personally uh, spent nine years addicted to heroin and meth on and off the streets, in and out of the system. And, um, and, I, and, and I think the my... My drive comes from understanding that like impact that I had on the world around me when I was an addict, when I was, so I, you know, you have a $150 a day habit and you don't have an income. How will you get that money? Yeah. Well, yeah, I was breaking the law. I was stealing stuff. I was yeah. robbing people. I was doing that. Does it make me a bad person? No, it just makes me a, an efficient problem solver. Not a very <laughs> an good. Efficient problem like, solver. Well, I'd solve the problem at the cost of other people, and we right. have to like, and you'll, yeah. you'll have to look at that. Very and eloquently then, said. Yeah, and so like I and, and my drive comes from understanding the impact I had on the world. I had a mentor once tell me that like it, you know, if you really want to like, what you should really do is talk to somebody that was close to you when you were active in your addic addiction mm -hmm. and ask them their version of your story. Wow. Right. And um, and so it was my mom. I asked my mom her version of my story. And you have to be at a certain mental. You have to have the, the strength to do this because sometimes it, criticism. It, oh, it, yeah, and she, she's like, you listen to what she says and you don't correct her because whatever she mm -hmm. says, her version of it is her version. Right. If you disagree with her, that's you don't you just shut your mouth and you listen. And uh, my mom told me her version of me overdosing. And my version of it was I was at my friend B's house. She didn't know. She knew I did pills. She didn't know I was shooting heroin. Yeah. And I, I go to the bathroom. 
shoot up. And then I wake up four days later and then, you know, the ICU. And uh, then I asked the nurse what happened. She was like, oh, you, you know, you overdosed. And I was like, oh, crap. And I get on the phone. And I call my mom. Just, you know, and I'm like, hey, mom. And, you know, and, well, she didn't answer the phone. And so I leave a message and I'm like, mom, uh, dude, I'm at the hospital. I overdosed. You're not even here. You're not answering your phone. You didn't. I start, you know, yeah. attacking. Of course, you're never there for me, mom. And I hang up the phone and I take these things off of me. I take the catheter out, oh which is a really weird feeling. <laughs> and, um, and I, I, um, I take the gown off and I leave because I had warrants, yeah. right? And I was scared yeah. that the police are coming. So I, uh, like I left. Super intense. And within an hour, I was across town. This is in Vegas behind Jerry's Nuggets shooting up again. Yeah. This is within an hour of waking up from an overdose. And then my mom's version of the story is, um, is she gets a call from B because B is my homie from high school. I was like, dude, Grant's not doing good. He might not make it. My mom shows up to the hospital and sits at the foot of the bed of her son dying. Mm-hmm. For for three days until yeah. she knew I was okay. Yeah, and like when you told me that, I was like, "Wow, dude, just like um, that perspective you know, like changes the whole oh, thing." Oh yeah, it's yeah. hard to see the picture when you're in the frame, and shit like that will just knock you right out of the frame. And and it like helped me understand that you know you'll have a lot of addicts that's like I'm just doing it to myself. I'm hurting myself. Like nah, dude, if if somebody loves you. You're hurting something. You're causing a ripple. And somebody loves you. I don't give a shit what you say or what you think. Somebody somewhere loves you. And what you do affects the rest of the world. And you can have, you know, if you break it down, and I know this, is that you can, whether it's good or whether it's bad, you can cause a ripple that touches the cosmos, you know? Yeah. So that's my motivation is understanding that, like, if we could take folks that are actively causing negative ripples to themselves and others and transition them like what a and and i mean it's what an incredible impact and like if i've if i believe in universal law like whatever you put out comes back back. and i spent this portion of my life putting out bad things well i i owe right i owe it you know well and it's again you are a caring person you (laughs) you really that connection in, you know, to that, that personal experience, yeah. that means that you have a buy-in with these people. And so you mm-hmm. really want to see them succeed, even if it's just one, a handful, however many you can get. And that, like you said, that um, universal law of reciprocity yeah. will, it does impact not just the homeless community, but all of us, mm-hmm. when all of us are doing well, like we, we, when your weakest link is doing well, that's the that's how sh- what shows a thriving community. Yeah. So you know, it's important work what you're doing. Yeah. And I know that you will continue to um, be creative and innovative on how you do it, and you really have a good pulse on who you're connected with. Um, what do you think your biggest need is right now to help with this initiative? I mean, look, everybody. <laughs> It's always money. It's always like some we sort of money. funding. <laughs> um, that's just it. It's all. It's yeah. always some sort of funding. And you look at like so. And and, and so in, in ways of doing things, there's also the cost of doing things. The cost of doing it right. The cost of doing it wrong. And the cost of not doing it at all. Um, and so, but like people are hesitant, right? It's like the the puppy and the alligator theory right people are more likely to give money to save a puppy than they are to save an alligator it's such a crazy thing and i work with (laughs) and i work with alligators i was an alligator do you know actually still am (laughs) but uh 
and 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 so folks like they you know it's it's a lot easier to give money to to these things to certain things like to kids fluffy and things. to fluffy cute things and not all of us are fluffy and cute you know and so you, and especially with like the, the demographic you know like males like males this is what you're trying to do though is break down that construct of what fluffy things are these people they're people. They are fluffy things. Yeah, on the inside, we're all fluffy. Uh, everybody's fluffy <laughs> on the inside. And just yeah. that uh, innate judgment of of what people think is fluffy and not, right? Yeah. Well, so what we have to do is, like, we have to paint a clear picture of what a return on investment looks like when it comes to supporting uh, nonprofits that work with us not so fluffy people. And, right. and so you'll like, it's, and, and you'll look at it as a social return on investment. And, but it doesn't like, it doesn't always pan out the way we want to put somebody in rehab or we want to put somebody in the shelter and all of a sudden the problem solved. Like you can't, you're not going to solve a lifetime of issues and trauma and all the things with, uh, you know, in six months, you might, it might not happen that way. And so we have to start identifying what are benchmarks of success? How are we like, how is this person improving? And then what's the social return on investment? When you look at the folks that we're, we deal with the social return on investment, no matter how long it takes, because somebody might not get something now. I'll tell you, like, there are things that people told me 15 years ago that I didn't get until no. Last year, yeah. you know, so whatever you're doing is making an impact. It's just to keep throwing, keep working, keep working. And we have to like identify like what is success? What are benchmarks of success? Cause you're not going to, we look at like when it comes to addiction, we look at success as long-term sobriety. Well, dude, sometimes it takes people hundreds of thousands of times of relapse. And it took me hundreds of thousands right. of times of relapsing before I figured it out. Right. So how do you know you're succeeding with me? Part of it is miraculous. And another part which that's a very big part, right? It's like just everything lines up, but like, but another part is, um, is, 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 is being, is just constantly working with folks. And if you look at the return on investment from like supporting these, these nonprofits, it's, you get your sons back, you get your dad's yeah. back, you get your brothers, your grandkids, you get your cousins, you get, you get these people like, think about if, if I wasn't introduced to the programs I was introduced to, I wouldn't have been able to do anything. My right. kids, wouldn't have a dad. My mom wouldn't have her son back. So that's the. And that's real. Yeah. That's so, real. So, I mean, it, but it's. You said something off camera, too, about, uh, I think, a s clarifying those benchmarks and maybe deconstructing what people's perceptions of what benchmarks look like. Yeah. Like, okay, you know, the next step to getting somebody, uh, you know, off the streets isn't just throwing them in a house. There's so many different benchmarks that may yeah. not overtly look like wins, but are the steps that are necessary that can sustain somebody even being able to be non-homeless. Yeah. Well, it also comes down to what do we, so what do we consider success? And you'll have to look at a different individual's capabilities. So if somebody's clearly, there's some people that will never ever yeah. be self-sustaining. There's some people that will never live by themselves. That is all. And so a person like that getting into a group home um, that's success, man. Right. They made it, dude. Yeah. Well done. Do you know? And, or a person that like is, is capable of being self-sustaining, helping them get over all these blocks and barriers that prevent them from, uh, from taking risks or prevent them from showing up to the job interview. Like I personally, like when I was, uh, when I first got out of jail, man, I was super motivated, but being motivated. Yeah. It kind of helps, yeah. right? Because you have yeah. all these other things, right? I was super motivated. I wanted to go out. I wanted to be something. I was as hungry and I, as, as I, I was to straighten my life out as I worked. I worked as hard to straighten my life out as I worked to mess it up. Like, I'm yeah. like, dude, 
look, dude, you're gonna. I, I looked at it like, look, miss, man, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna die. Like, if I stay yeah. on the streets like this, I'm gonna die like this. Yeah. And if I'm gonna die, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna pick how I'm, I'm you know, like yeah. everything. I'm gonna pick how it's going down, and 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 you'll have to kill me, you know. Yeah. And so I was really committed, but that's just the well, that being ego, committed. that fortitude is something that you need to have if you're. Yeah, being being committed and being clean doesn't necessarily like mean you you got to figure it out. And so like I remember well, I went to my. You don't have it all figured out, huh? You don't have it all figured out. Um, weird. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let you in on a little secret. Uh, no, but. Um, <laughs> But like, so you look at like, so I remember my first job interview was set up for me. This mentor that I had, Marie, she like got me this job interview. I wanted to be a personal trainer at first. And, um, and so, you know, I took, did this, it was about a two hour bus ride. I was listening to motivational things, you know, on the bus. I was listening to Eric Thomas, like, you know, I was getting pumped up. And, but in order to go there, like she told me, she's like, you should dress for the job i was i was wearing dickies cut off dickies chuck taylor's like big hoodies you know and they're like uh, she's like what do you want to do and i was like i don't know i want to be a boss man you know I'm she's like well then boss. dress like a boss right dress and so it was i remember we went to the goodwill and i picked out some clothes that fit me and i took my shirt in and before i left i like stood in, in the bathroom at this sober living house at the group home and i was like taking the angle mirror and just like looking at myself like <laughs> so i've never fancy. tucked my shirt in you know i was like it was so weird and i felt like freaking i mean i walked like you know and i took this two-hour bus ride had my headphones in listen to motivational stuff and as i'm walking up to the the door i saw my reflection in the in the in the in the glass oh. door and i was like ah. i didn't recognize myself it felt weird i mm -hmm. felt like an imposter and i felt like they would figure it out so i turned around mm -hmm. got back on the bus and went home and Just that little thing triggered you. That like well, because I felt like I, yeah, I felt like I was a phony, and they'd sniff me out, and they'd know that I was a fraud, and and so there's it's it's more than just. So that was a block for me, right? And there's people on this have other blocks, and it's, something's preventing them from doing stuff. But what worked for me is I went back and I called Marie, and I was like, yeah, they just uh, they don't have any positions open. It's not going to work. She's like, where are you right now? And she picked me up and yeah. drug my ass over there. Sometimes you just need and, support. You need someone to drag your ass over there sometimes, and that's it. And that's what we call, like, in the industry, we call it doing the dance, right? Where yeah. you, where sometimes you lead and you let them lead, and you lead and let them lead. Don't, you know, you're, don't you're not let, necessarily dragging them. You've got, you got to dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, dance. I mean, like, look, dude, the best ideas I could come up with got me homeless and addicted. Yeah, I need somebody to like I need give some me directions. Yeah, maybe from someone else other than me. Yeah, yeah, so let me lead a little bit, and then sometimes you challenge me and push yeah. me, but don't push me to where I turn around and leave. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Push, push me just enough to get me there to where I'm willing to take a step. Well, and to go back, um, you talked about being a personal trainer. Talk to me about the grit program. Talk to me about like what, what you do with that. We do. Uh, we'll go to treatment centers and pick pick folks up that are actively in in, in treatment take them to the gym, take them volunteering, do wellness classes. Um, and the, the reason for that is, uh, we look, man, the, the, when I was in rehab, we, it was like this last chance rehab. You got like 40 convicts and they're like, it's the rehab you go to. Like if you mess this up, homie, prison, like you're done. HBO, yeah, yeah. Like you should have an HBO um, series on it. Oh dude, it'd be good. Um, but like you have all these all these guys up there and when they would and they're I'm talking convicts, I'm talking like gangsters, mm -hmm. right? And these dudes, it never failed. Every time someone graduated, there was this portion where you would deliver the, uh, a scripted thing okay. to the group. Kind of like a thesis. Yes, you would deliver the scripted thing to the group. 
um, I've accepted this and that. I'm I'm gonna I'm you know going on my way, whatever. And then you would say a personal thing. Hey man, I'd like to thank everybody who helped me. Man, boom boom. And then you turn around and there's a mirror on the wall, and you you look in the mirror and you look at yourself. You can make a promise to the room, right? You deliver these things these things to the room, and when you, and when everybody without fail, when they would have to like make a promise to themselves, they would cry. Yeah. Everybody would cry. And when they would cry, we would Everybody's cry. Crying. Everybody's crying. <laughs> the whole room's crying. And it was just, it was just so in. And the reason that Intense. most people are crying is because we're doing well here. Yeah. Because we have a structured environment. It's safe. We don't have access to all these things that are gonna kill us. Right. But then when we go out, the world the world is a scary, scary freaking place, especially when you only know one way to survive in it. And um, and you know, if you're a if you're a if you're really good at surviving on the streets, there are things that you've developed, right? Uh, that will see to it that you fail in, in, yeah. in a regular world. And so it's, man, it's scary. And so I think it's important that we integrate people into giving back, yeah. integrate folks into being able to set goals and control, control your life. Like you, yeah. if you don't figure your day out, someone will figure it out for you. Yeah. And, and, and then also like getting in the gym and developing a relationship with pain, you yeah, know, physical and, fitness is like a big uh, top five of yours. Yeah. The, it's, not, it's like a day top two. Yeah. Top two. Yes. Wow. No, it's a, it's a big deal. I think to be able to get in there and develop a relationship with pain. And even when, you know, when you're uncomfortable and then understand that the, the, uh, the mental hygiene, right? Like your body's just a byproduct. Well, you're talking guys always trying to throw yourself into discomfort. I was like, hey, let's go grab a burger. You're like, actually, I'm not eating red meat right now. Like, what? Yeah, no, I just, uh, I've been eating too much of it, and so I'm going to yeah. not do that right I now. Mean, I still hate cows. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll eat all the cows, but I'm choosing. But you cho you opted into discomfort. You opted into doing something that was hard. You're constantly doing that. Well, you got to exercise that muscle. I think it's important, you yeah. know? Yep. But that's why we do that program is to help folks integrate back in there, start to develop a little, a little bit of um, self-confidence. You know, they, they, they. A little bit of grit. Huh? A little bit of grit. A little bit of grit, homie. They, they say like what you keep in life is in direct proportion to what you feel like you're worth, right? Yeah, And so I if you don't that. feel like you're worth nothing, then you don't get to keep nothing. You'll get shit all day, but you don't get to keep stuff. So it's important that like we build our self-worth and how do we create value? Well, you do shit, you know? Yeah. And that's it. So that's right. I, I believe that 100 percent. Yeah. Quote yeah. by Grant Denton. I love it. <laughs> and end quote. Yeah. Um, well, what is next for you? What's next for Grant Denton as a person? Any hopes, know. dreams, um, aspirations, personally, professionally? I don't know. Uh I, know. I know this. I know that I I I I've chosen the hill I'm gonna die on, and it's this. Yeah. Homeless a noble a one. It's a noble, a noble hill. One. So and I think that's important. I think like you know, if you know the hill you're gonna die on, you go hard. You know, because you gotta you gotta well, kill then me you to really get me off try this. You know, because you're huh? very soft. So <laughs> probably do that better. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, I I just I I want to I want to solve problems. I'm gonna work. It's it's a you know it's a it's a it's a good guilt. It's a, it's a good gig. I like I like doing this. Well, and you're very passionate about it. You are, I mean, super inspiring, motivational. I mean, you do a lot of mo motivational speaking. You, I mean, people are in, people f believe you because you're believable and because you really, this is your mission and you, f it radiates off of you. Yeah. So, um, it's just a pretty stand up dude and I'm glad to know you. And I think it's just awesome what you're doing. So 
Um, if you want to help Grant and his mission, where are they visiting? Websites, socials, all the things. They can uh, go to www.karmaboxproject.org. Um, you can donate there. Mm-hmm. I also, you run during Christmas. Do you have like uh, registry lists and things like that? You can also go to any of the 60 boxes. Well, yeah, you can go to any of the 60 boxes. I would recommend doing that all the time. But um, but uh, I if... I think it's important to get educated. And I think it's important to have an understanding of what we're doing. And if and Absolutely. if and and I, if anybody wants to come walk the streets with me or want to learn more about homelessness, I'm open to meeting with folks. And and we do a lot of cleanup projects, a lot of you know going out to yeah. the tracks. And, you do. I mean, yeah. all the time. Yeah. No, you should see the back of my truck uh, right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So they can reach out to you. Can they find you? Uh, where can they find you on socials? Um. I don't uh, like Instagram. Yeah, Facebook, Instagram, all those Facebook. Things, okay. There's gonna be a picture of a guy that looks just like me. Okay, pick that one. Okay, what's the handle? I don't know. At that, Grant, Denton. Grant. Oh, at okay. Grant and then at Karma Box Project, or is this at Karma Box? Karma at Karma Box Project One. Um, at Karma Box Project One on and, Instagram. Yeah, and then Grant and then you can a. find Denton. him on Facebook. Karma yeah. Box Project. Mm-hmm. Grant Denton. He's all over the place. You can find him. Probably run into him. Uh, uh. But no, reach out to him. He would be happy to educate you and point, point you in the right direction of what your skills could maybe best suit his mission, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you. Thank you. For giving me a super short synopsis of your journey and your mission. But um, again, this is going to be a fun year. People like Grant are like a pillar of this community, and it's what this podcast is about. So um, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time on The Growth Lab. 